Uh, you guys can be seated. I want to welcome you here. We're really uh, glad that you're here. And I want to take a, a special moment and just welcome Kids Zone. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. And for those uh, of you that are kind of unaware of some of the vision behind this, is uh, parents of, of Kids Zone kids, believe, it, believe me when I say in a few short years, your kids are going to be in here every Sunday. Uh, it, it is really not going to take very long at all. And we just, four times a year, we like to kind of get them uh, used to, to being in here. And I know uh, from our experience, and I know talking to other parents, that parents on this particular Sunday, they're so self-conscious uh, about their kids making uh, noise and being disruptive. They're going to be, right? They're, they're going to be. And here, I want to I tell you before we get started, it's fine. It's fine. We are a church family, and I'm here to tell you, as the senior minister of this church, we are glad to be a church with kids in this church, right? It is, it is way better than the alternative, trust me, right, of not having anyone from the next generation coming up. So I love seeing the littles in here. Uh, I love seeing them, and they're going to respond to some things, and you're going to be embarrassed, and it's fine. It really is fine. We love having them here. We're blessed to be a church with children running around. So, um, and when, I, when they're running around the hall, I see parents kind of bonking their head. It's like, it is so better than the alternative. We're, we're so glad to have kids. All right? So let's pray. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. And uh, I want to pray uh, today that um, this message uh, would remind us that um, change is not just possible, it's actually certain in your gospel that we're going to explore today. Um, and I want to pray, first of all, everything that I say would be true and based on your word. Um, but uh, today, I also want to pray that it would be engaging <laughs> so that I don't lose our littles, all right? Um, we want to thank you again for Jesus and for his grace. It's in his name we pray, amen. I, I am old enough now that I see the technological changes that have taken place in our universe uh, over just the course of my lifetime. When I was graduating from college, if you had told me that someday a computer would fit in the palm of your hand uh, as I was packing up my dorm and a third of my dorm took up my computer, right? A third of my dorm. I would have told you you were absolutely crazy. Uh, this December, Cheryl and I have been uh, married for 20 years, and if you had told me uh, when we were first married and we were kind of moving into our apartment together and we just had book after book after book in a heavy box that was so heavy, if you had told me that someday all of my library would be on an electronic device stored forever, I would have thought you were, I would have called you a witch, right? That you're, you're, you're speaking crazy, right? Uh, if you had told me that by and large our media consumption uh, would, would be streamed uh, on streaming services as I was going, I remember this so clearly, I was going from McDonald's to McDonald's to McDonald's because they were kind of selling for $5 the Indiana Jones trio. And I wanted this trio so bad on VHS. I'm like, I'll keep this forever, right? VHS will never go out of style. And so I was, I was going from McDonald's and some of you are like, what is VHS? You can ask your parents on the way home, right? <laughs> At the time, it was magical. I just, we couldn't believe we could consume media this way. And I was just going from McDonald's to McDonald's to try to find it. I would have told you you were crazy. There has been a lot of change in, in the world. And I want you to think for a minute about what are some of the biggest changes that, that you've seen. Maybe for you, it's a home. 
and you did like a home renovation and you just cannot believe the difference at your house now or you redid one of your kids' rooms to be a big boy bed or a big girl bed and you just can't believe the changes in it. Maybe it was in a behavior that you went on a diet or you gave up a certain food or whatever and the transformation has been incredible. Maybe it was a person. I told you last week about the story of my grandfather who had been kind of an abusive alcoholic for a lot of his life and then gave his life to Christ and we just watched transformation happen for all of the littles in the room. Some of you are looking and you just cannot believe that your child is old enough to be in here on on family fifth, that the changes in them have just been extraordinary and incredible. Here's what I want you to see. And here's what I want to push up against. There is a cultural narrative right now, a cultural story that people cannot really change, that we're really not capable as people of change. And you know who who perpetrates this theology? The trolls from Frozen. (laughs) That's what people cannot really change, right? And I love that movie, and I love the trolls, and I love that song, and, and I hate to break any little's bubble here, but that's really not true. People can change, and people do change. And people will change when they transfix their eyes on Jesus and believe his message of good news. And this is what Paul is going to teach us today. This has been very kind of theological and heady so far in the book of Ephesians. I I told uh, some friends of mine that are preaching it with me that it's almost like preaching through the book of Romans. Uh, Ephesians is that dense, and and he's going to hit on the theology of change at the beginning of it, because there is a a doctrine and a theology of how change happens, and then he's just going to give us example after example of how change can happen and how our lives can be different. But here's how he starts. So I tell you this and insist on it and, and insist on it in the Lord that you most must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So if you remember the background of this is Paul has been kind of teaching us throughout this book about how the faith has progressed over the course of the Bible. That it started with God working through a nation, building up a nation. Eventually through that nation, Jesus was born. Jesus came and he taught and he did miracles and he grew up disciples. Eventually he was killed on a cross. Three days later, he was resurrected uh, from the dead and then the church was formed. After his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came to believers. And we right now, as believers, we are living right now in what's called the church age. That's what we're in right now. And one of the early struggles of the first church was who is this message for? Who is this message of grace for? Who is this message of forgiveness for? Who is this message of the Holy Spirit is present for everybody? Who is this for? Is it for Israel because God started with them? Is it for Gentiles, the new group coming in? Who is it for? And Paul reminds us again and again, in Romans and Ephesians for that matter, but he reminds us that this message, it is for everyone. It is for Israel. It is for Gentiles. It is for all that come to Jesus. So there was this time in the book of Acts where Gentiles, those that do have this long history with God, they were coming to faith in Jesus at a very rapid rate. And what came with that was this messiness in the church. Because behaviors change, but not like a light switch. Right? Our mission statement says it really well. We're on this journey. It is a journey. Change is a journey. 
Uh, it's hard to change. Thinking uh, changes, changing the way we think. It happens, but not all at once. Relationships change, but not immediately. It is a journey and and a process. So Paul in this text, he is encouraging us to hold on to the truth that we can experience life change, and he uses Gentiles as a code word, and, and the text I just read to you, as a code for those who don't yet know Christ. And he says, as a believer in Christ, if you are here today and you're a believer in Christ, you don't want to live as they do. Because here's the truth that Paul is teaching us. Jesus should change your behavior. He should. So let me ask you, what are some ways that you are different because of Christ? What are some ways that you are different because of your relationship with Jesus? You say, man, I neighbor differently because of Jesus. Or I work differently. I relate differently. I love differently. Because of Jesus, because of his life, his teachings, his grace, and his power, Jesus changes things. So when he talks about these Gentiles that have not yet come to Christ, he says you really shouldn't think like they think, live like they live, behave like they behave, because you have Christ and they have not yet met Christ, and Jesus changes things. And the reason they are different, Paul says, is because Jesus changes our thinking. The NIV uh, talks about the Gentiles having a futility of their thinking. The King James translates it as a vanity of their mind. He says they are darkened in their their understanding. And the vanity of their mind is describing this kind of moral decay, this moral depravity that was happening in Ephesus. But all of the moral depravity that was happening had the same root. Every single issue had the same root. And here's what the root was. Vanity. That in the city of Ephesus, this is what I want, so I do it. This is what I need. This is what makes me feel good. This is what seems right. And there was this kind of self-centered vanity that was leading the people in Ephesus to make decisions. And he was saying to the Christians in Ephesus, not so with you. You should be different from that. Because the result of this self-centeredness was a separation from the life of God. And on many, many subjects in our culture right now, we are being repeatedly told that the worst thing you can say to someone, uh, the worst thing you can say about someone is that they are engaged in sin. The worst thing you can do is to call sin, sin. And I want you to hear Paul's heart on this, and because my heart is in alignment with his, I want you to hear his heart. Paul wants life for you. He wants life for you. And I, I want life for you. And I believe life is found in the book. Life is found in the Bible. It's found in the person of Jesus. It's found in the gospel. And so when we call out sin, when we plead for repentance, when we challenge cultural thinking, it isn't because we hate people. It's the opposite. It's because we love them and we desperately want life for them and life is found in that place. So Paul says it doesn't make any sense for you to live out vanity or a darkened understanding because you have met and know Jesus. The text continues. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of self to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love the way that it describes this process. That's not the way of life you learned, is to live a a vain existence. That's not the way that you learned. You heard about Jesus. There came a time where you heard about him. And for many of us with kids zone in the room, for many of us, this happened 
when we were kids. Not all of us, but for many of us, this first hearing about Jesus happened when we were kids. And if you're a parent in this room with a little especially, but it's never too late to start doing this, but especially if you have littles, make sure your kids hear about Jesus. Make sure they hear about Jesus. Make sure they know the stories. Make sure they hear the stories. To this day, I can remember sitting in Sunday school with a woman that I had no real connection with because I was like eight and she was like 85. She she was an older woman in our church and we had no connection. But to this day, I still remember her teaching me, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm coming to your house today. From coming to your... And I remember hearing that song, kind of spoken word there, right? Um, <laughs> I remember hearing that song and just hearing about Jesus. And the first thing I thought as a gangly kid was it's kind of weird to, you know, call out someone's tallness or shortness, but I've since learned that people just do that. As of even yesterday, it was like, you're really tall. I have always been. All right? I don't know what to tell you. But, um, and so they call out his shortness, but then I just love this story about Jesus going to this guy's house who was perceived and seen as a sinner, as far from him, and, and how life change came to Zacchaeus. So we want to make sure our kids hear about Jesus, but not just hear about him, learn uh, being, being taught in him, Paul says. So you go from hearing the stories to being taught his teachings, seeing his life as an example, and, and how to live life, and we learn to apply his teachings to our life. Right? And what we should be taught eventually, it starts with the stories, it goes to application, and what we should be taught from the stories is to put, Paul says anyway, to put off your old way of thinking and to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, we are like Jesus in the way that we live. So we hear the stories, we learn to apply the stories, and then the next kind of thought is we need to learn to be like Jesus. We are thinking differently. We're thinking like him, living differently, behaving differently uh, than our culture because we have heard about Jesus, we have been taught his ways, and now we are learning to live like him. And I think that this is undertaught in Christianity right now, just to be honest with you. I think that right now, and, and we talk a lot about grace and we should, but there is this part that grace teaches that, man, when you identify something that's not like Christ in your life, you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you go to war against that thing. You, you, you go to war against it. You fight against it and you change your behavior. And it's just not something that we're really talking a lot about is that when God, when God reveals to me a way that I'm not like Christ, I'm like, no, that is not okay. I'm going to make changes. I'm, I'm going to add accountability. I'm going to do what I need to do to live a holy and righteous, Christ-like life is what Paul says. And so we are always in, in this journey as, as Christians identifying that, man, this is not like Christ. Right? I still have those moments, and I'm sure some of you do too, that this is not like Christ. This is not how he's called me to live. Now, I, I, I go after that thing. Go to war might be a little strong, but you get what I'm saying, right? I go after that thing. I try to change, and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit so that I can change. And you probably are finding yourself thinking right now, but Steve, what about the trolls in Frozen? What about the trolls? I am sorry, the trolls lie to you, right? 
They did. Because of Jesus and his example and his teachings and his church and his spirit, you can think differently. You can live differently. You can change. I hope you receive that today. You can change. If you see these ways that you are not like Jesus and you're like, man, I'm just kind of stuck. My grandfather did this. My dad did this. And now I do this. I can't change. This is who I am. No. Troll thinking. No. You can change. You can see the example of Jesus. You can receive his Holy Spirit and you can change. I don't care if it's a family legacy going back 100 years. And if you're here today and you're thinking about someone, you're like, they'll, they'll, they'll never change. They will never change. No. Pray for them to find Christ. Pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And they absolutely can and will change as the result of that. You can change. So if you walked in here today and you're like, this is just how I am. Take me or leave. Whatever nonsense our culture espouses. Don't believe that, that you absolutely can change. You can be different if you want to be different. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you and you can make changes. See, grace does not teach that you have no role in the change. Grace does not teach that you are who you are and you just receive grace when when you mess up. You do receive grace when you mess up, but grace also teaches us where the power comes from, that the power comes from Christ to change, to be different, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, but we just have to become more aware of the old self and the new self, right? Right? We have to be able to see that this is some old self has creeped in. I'm wearing old clothing, right? I need to put on the new stuff. And we just have to become more aware of how we're walking and, and how we're behaving and, and what it looks like. But it's very, grace is very active language to put off our old self and to put on our new. And then Paul gives us several examples. So I'm just going to give you the examples of how we can change and what change can look like on a very practical level. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, And speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we are all members of one body. So he says, Jesus was and is the truth. And so we, as followers of Jesus, we are a truth people. We are a truth people. That we speak the truth and love to one another. Because in this body, we know that life happens where the truth resides. So if you want to know where to live life, life is found in the truth. And so the truth is not just something... That's not important at all. It's it's urgently important because life happens where the truth resides. So that means a couple of things. I will do my best. Scott will do his best. Whoever's on this stage will do our best to speak to you the truth from God's word. That we will get up here and we will speak the truth. And sometimes the truth will make you mad. Sometimes it will make you upset, but I will tell you the truth because life happens where the truth resides. But here's what it also means. Do not, please do not surround yourself with like-minded yes men and yes women. There is no greater way to be misled than to surround yourself with people who only hear your perspective and tell you what you want to hear. You need the truth. I need the truth. Life resides where the truth resides. And so we don't want to just surround ourselves with, yes, you're awesome. You go, girl. You go, guy. Right? You're you're killing it. Right? If you are killing it, that's the truth. But other times, we need people to say, no, dude, dude. 
I've had a number of people in my life just, dude, right? <laughs> Come on. You know you shouldn't have said that. You know you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have taken, you know you shouldn't have headed, uh, gone, gone down that path. That was the wrong decision. And we need people in our lives that will look at us, and they're not yes men, they're not yes women, they will look at us and they will tell us the truth. You're wrong. You made a bad decision. You're heading down a bad path. And then we can repent and receive grace upon grace upon grace. But I think this is part, and another part of this is just speaking the truth to our culture. They will hate us for it. But Jesus promised they would hate us for it. So don't be surprised by that. But life happens where the truth resides. He goes on. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Ooh, we love this verse. Oh, my. I cannot begin to tell you the amount of times I have seen someone so angry, and this is the verse we go to every single time, right? That we love this verse because it shows how we are allowed to still be angry and be holy and righteous people. And the story we always go to is the next one, Matthew 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So we make this combo, like, see, in your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. And then look at Matthew 12, Steve, even Jesus was angry. Can we admit he was special? Jesus was, that, that he was, he was special. He was fully God and fully human. In addition to that, I would like to know the examples in our recent cultural history that would be a great example of righteous anger. I would like to hear those examples because to me, it ends up burning more fiery than it should, leading us to take actions we shouldn't take, and it's very rarely proportional to the sin we're addressing. It almost always goes above and beyond that of a righteous response. I saw a recent study, all right, and I'm just going to share this with you. We're getting a little bit into politics, but I, this is an all play in, in terms of political statement, but I was blown away by this, and maybe you will be too. The poll question was asked, and here's, here's, here's exactly what was asked. When asked whether it is acceptable to employ violence to stop your political enemies from attaining their goals, all right? So that was the question. Is it appropriate to employ violence to stop your political enemies from achieving their goals? People that voted for uh, Joe Biden in the last election, 41% said yes. Those that voted for Donald Trump, 38% said yes that it is appropriate to use violence and anger to stop your political enemies from attaining their goals. Now, I don't know who you voted on in the last election. Those of you on social media, I have a little bit of a clue, but um, for, for the most part, I, I don't know who you voted for in the last election, but here's what I know. If you fully follow Jesus, you are bound by these words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled and come and offer your gift. We want to guard our hearts when it comes to anger. It is such a growing emotion in our culture right now. And I think with what's going on in the Middle East, I I said this the very first Sunday, I think we want to pause right now as a nation and as a people, is that what we want our future to be? 41% of people that voted for Biden and 38%, not far behind them, that voted for Trump say violence is totally acceptable to stop political enemies. In the United States of America, nearly half, And I think we want to pause just for a minute and say, is this the people we want to be? Do we want to be a violent people that use violence to achieve our goals? Is that really who we want to be? And I'm telling you right now, this changes as cultures change. But I'm telling you right now, as followers of Jesus, we have a prime opportunity right now to show a different way. We do. So when you're interacting on social media, when you're interacting in culture, right now as followers of Jesus who are bound by his words, as followers of Jesus, we have this prime opportunity to stand out in our culture and show a different way. The way of peace, the way of grace, the way of love, the way of the cross, the way of the gospel. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. You see how I did that right there? We're just moving on, right? but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. So he goes on to another kind of characteristic of life change that stealing is an attribute. Uh, It's really an entitlement that says you have produced something and now I'm going to take it as my own. That's what stealing is. It's an entitlement that says you produced, I didn't produce that, but I'm going to take that for my own. And this can happen on an individual basis where I steal from you. And it can happen in a more organized way. For instance, a government could organize society in a way that it takes from the creators and gives to someone else. And it tends, when, when governments do this, it tends to breed a ton of resentment. And it doesn't work because when government get, takes that step, you know who ends up getting wealthy? When the government takes from the person who created it or designed it or made it and gives it to someone else. You know who ends up wealthy? Not the people they're helping who ends up wealthy is the bureaucracy itself. (laughs) So communities, cities, nations, and churches, they thrive when everybody is thinking, what is my contribution? What is my act of service that that I can employ to serve the greater good? What can I do to help those in need? Because needs do exist, right? That that, uh, it would be wrong for a Christian, for instance, to have an attitude that my contribution uh, has made me wealthy or, or given me money, and it is for me and me alone. Right? And to, to totally forget needs, because needs always exist in a culture. There, there are those who maybe are never able to work for, for no fault of their own, and there are those that are able to work for a short period of time. There is need in a culture, but stealing is not the solution for addressing the needs of a community. Voluntary contribution for the greater good is the solution. And like I said, for a Christian to adopt an attitude of my contribution is for me and for me alone, everyone else can take care of themselves, is just not the gospel. And we understand this because our gospel says that Jesus voluntarily contributed his life for the greater good. 
And so we do, we do the same thing, all right? A couple more. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, when I was in high school, one year, this was our theme verse from my youth minister. And every week, this verse was pounded and pounded and pounded into me. Ephesians 4.29, I can still quote it by heart, having learned it a while ago. I, um, I can still quote this verse perfectly. It is not a bad verse to pound into the minds of high schoolers. It's also not a bad verse to pound into the heads of adults. And it isn't specifically talking about swearing, although that certainly would be a part of this idea, but it would be, are my words building others up? Are they encouraging? Are they wholesome? Are they moving people forward in a positive direction? Or are they angry, harsh, and accusatory? And again, the heart of the gospel changes this because Jesus was the word become flesh, is how John describes him. So he came as the word of God and offered us life and grace and eternity and truth. And our words can do a similar thing. We are changed by this gospel of Jesus. And so I want, we want to think about the way we're speaking to our family, the way we're speaking to our friends, the way we're speaking to our coworkers. Are our words building them up or are they tearing down? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? Another kind of life change thing that the Holy Spirit, who is leading us to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Someone asked me one time, like, how on earth do you rattle those off so quick? I'll, I'll, we'll tell you why while Kid Zone is in here. It was Sunday school growing up, and we used to sing this song The fruit of the Spirit's not an apple. The fruit of the Spirit's not an apple. Right? And it would go on to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? So, and so I, I just got them embedded in me from a child, you know, Lila's age. Uh, and so what he's saying here is that we can do things that either, the Bible t- describes it two ways. We can walk in step with the Spirit, or we can grieve the Spirit through our actions. So we're putting ourselves in places, if we're putting ourselves in places that are tempting us, or frustrating us, or nursing our anger, or we're putting ourselves in environments that nurture love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you might find that when you read a verse like that, that there are some habits that you need to break. That every night you come home and you watch this news show. And at the end of the news show, you are so angry. Or every day you're having this exchange in the break room that is turning a bit flirtatious. Or every class period you're sitting by the student and you are so tempted to cheat off them. Those are things that are not keeping in step with the spirit, but instead they're grieving the spirit and making the spirit hard to lead us to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so those are the things that we can see and be like, man, I'm gonna kind of go to war on that. I'm gonna make a change there. I'm gonna go after that and experience the life change God wants me to experience. And then the last part of it reads this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as as in Christ, God forgave you. I want you to look at those words on the screen. Can you imagine what our world would look like if we followed those those words? 
Can you imagine what the Middle East would look like? Can you imagine what the next election would look like? Can you imagine what our culture would look like? Can you imagine what the family unit in this country would look like? Can you imagine what the church would look like if everybody just said, I can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I can change. And I'm going to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and slander. I'm going to get rid of all. Can you imagine what the world would look like? And here's what I want you to see, guys. For the world to look that way, it has to start somewhere. Someone has to step out and say the whole world is bitter, angry, and using malice to get their way. Someone has to say, I'm done with that model. I'm choosing kindness. I'm choosing compassion. I'm choosing grace. What if that person was you? It, has to, it always starts, every movement starts somewhere. And what if this great movement of totally changing your workplace, where there's so much anger in your workplace, what if it started, what if it started with you? What if in your family, where there's so much rage and anger and animosity, and you say, man, I don't even know if my family can change. What if you could change? And what if it started with you? What about political discussions that you're involved in? You say, man, I just don't, these always turn angry. You always end up yelling at one another. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, yeah. You can't change them, but you can change. And what if you did? And what if it started with you? It starts somewhere. And you can't change them. You can't make them love Jesus. You can't give them the Holy Spirit. You can't do any of that. But you can love Jesus. And you can commit yourself to changing and being like him. And you can receive the Holy Spirit. And what if tomorrow we woke up and we said, tomorrow I am going to war, not on my enemies. Tomorrow I'm going to war against my anger. Tomorrow I'm going to war against my bitterness. Tomorrow I'm going to war against my malice. Tomorrow I'm going to war against my selfishness. Tomorrow I'm going to war against my lust. Tomorrow, what if it just started with you? I know you want to change them. I know you wish you could change them. You've been trying to change them for 20 years. But what if you gave up on that and just said, you know what, I can't change them? but I can change me. And because of the gospel, I am forgiven and I am loved, but I'm also empowered. And I'm going to begin to change for the sake of my family, for the sake of my work, for the sake of our country. I am going to change because I am not going to contribute to this malice and anger and slander and this culture that we live in right now. I am not going to contribute to it. I am going to choose the Jesus way. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your way. I believe, Lord, with every fiber of my being that people can change. I believe that your scriptures teach us repeatedly that people can change. I pray that right now, if your spirit has worked through this text, in whatever way your spirit has worked through this text, that we would just be, um, uh, that we would receive it and that we would commit ourselves to changing. If part of the text maybe it's like, man, I've developed a real elusive relationship with the truth, or I am becoming angry, or a relationship's becoming, whatever it is, whatever you're laying on our heart right now, that we would say, man, by your grace I am forgiven, but by your grace I am empowered. And I'm gonna change. 
Tomorrow morning, I'm going to change. I'm going to confess this to someone. I'm going to ask them for help, and I'm going to begin to do the things that I need to do to change. I'm not going to put myself in that environment. I'm not going to continue to do that habit. I'm, I'm going to kind of go to war against this thing and experience victory in you. I pray whatever that is, and I, we covered a wide variety of things. Unwholesome talk, lying, stealing, anger, but whatever it is, I believe we can change. And I believe you want us to change. And I believe you're empowering us to change. Would you help us to do it? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. We're gonna receive communion together as a church family right now. And this is an opportunity for you to kind of relish this moment of man. In Christ, I am forgiven. So whatever you kind of came in here, whatever, wherever, the, this, uh, wherever these texts lie with you and wherever they landed, you can say, man, my past is my past. I am forgiven. I am made new. But also as we receive communion, we remember we are empowered. And so we can leave this way and we don't have to rinse and repeat. We can change. Our lives can change because of the gospel. And so uh, they're going to pass out the emblems, uh, two cups stacked on top of each other. The bread represents Jesus' body. The juice represents his blood. And I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. And then I'll come back up here after everyone has theirs, and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. I hope you know this. You are forgiven. You are loved. His grace is sufficient for you. You're also empowered. And if you want to change, you can change. I believe that with every fiber of my being, you can change, I can change, we can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit may be true. Will you stand? We're going to close with a song of worship. If you have a question or a comment and you want to pray with someone, a couple of our elders are going to be in the overflow right after church, and they would love to interact with you. If you have any questions about our church, questions about the sermon, they'd love to interact with you. Um, on the other side of this door, past that hallway, there's a classroom. I'll be kind of hanging out over there right after church. If you have any questions or comments on the bylaw change, this is my second week that I'll be over there uh, of, of three. So I'd love to interact with you over there. Um, God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead. Let's close with one last song. Blessing.